I share a word with you this morning that I don't know all what God knows about this message. I do know that He has a great desire in all things. I don't even have to condition this or qualify this. I do know that in all things, God's great desire is that you be free. He died so that you could be free. He died so that you could be free from your sin. He died so that send the Holy Spirit so that you could be free from the effort of trying to live a life as a Christian that we have no chance of actually living. He died so that we would have the assurance of heaven so that our eternity is set with him. He died so that we could be free from the burdens, from the headaches, from, from the things, Lord, that we know without him that we would not otherwise be able to handle. He died so that we could be free. We know that we can say that unqualified this morning. So for anyone who's sitting here who is encumbered by anything, I want you to know that you can begin this morning to approach his throne and let him release to you and for you that freedom that he has planned. And we know that it's true. I know the plans that I have for you, and they're good. It's not always easy to testify that, of that reality, but we wake up each morning. I say this in my office a lot. I have to wake up each morning and put one foot on the truth that God is good. I have to, on that same time, put the other foot on the step that says, and God is love, and that I will never find him acting outside of those two things. I may not know what's going on. I may not be able to understand what's going on, but he's never going to betray those things that are his nature. When Moses wanted to see him, and God says, no man has ever seen me. And Moses asked him, can I see you? And so God hides him in the cleft of these rocks. What did God say I'll do? I will let all of my goodness pass before you. The goodness of God is the nature of God, and he will not betray that goodness. In the book of John, 1 John, he says, God is love. He's never going to betray it. I don't know what your questions are. I don't know what the uncertainty is. I do know that I can turn to you with all earnest faith and say that those two things are true. Most of us in this life have recognized that we are on a journey. Parker, when he arrived, said, you know, he made the statement, we are all in process. When we stop for just a second, we realize that that's true, that God is moving us. That each one of us is moving from where we are to the place where God has the desire for us, establishing us. And most of us would testify that a big part of our life was on this journey trying to discover who we are, trying to understand who we are. We're going to talk about that quite a bit this morning, about this journey to discover who we really are. I wish I could have got it into a clip so that I could actually play it, but there's a, one of my favorite movies of all times, and one that even going to the Rangers baseball games, when somebody hits a home run, they play the theme song from The Natural. I love the movie. I have it recorded on the DVR, and I'll just jump from the points I want to watch, but I never skip the home run at the end, the fireworks that it creates. I love the movie The Natural. But right before that, there's a line when Glenn Close comes in to see Roy Hobbs in, in the hospital. He's been poisoned, and now he's in the hospital, wondering if he's actually going to get to play in the conference championship. And she comes to see him in there, and there's this great line. She says, I think we have two lives. And he asks her, what are you talking about? And she says, I think we have the life we learn with, and then we have the life we live with after that. If you ponder that for a minute, you'll realize just how deep a truth that is, that we have the life we live with, and then we have the life we learn with, 
where we get those lessons, where we make the mistakes, where the errors are, and then the life that we live with after that. I've heard that. I've understood that for a long time. As much as I believe that that's true, and I think all of us feel that way at some point in our life, maybe often, we can easily and very readily look back to moments when we learned lessons, probably sometimes painfully. We learned the lesson, and now we're living the life that's left with us after that. Some situation, some circumstance, we look back and recognize we learned from it, but we never want to repeat it. I got a, I've got a long list of those. The ones that I learned from, if you were to ask me, would I go back and erase it, the answer would be no. But right on the heels of that would be, but I never want to do it again. I never want to have to learn that lesson again. So I will agree with her that it does seem that we have two lives. But the difference for us, the difference of, for those of us who are people of faith, the difference for those of us who love God and have put our trust and our belief in Him, is that the life that we live first that brings the consequences is not something that we have to be settled with afterwards on this second life because what God has come to do, and He made the promise, is that I don't care what your life has looked like, I have come to overcome that life so that the life that comes after it is a life of dynamic blessing and filled with glory and filled with goodness. So yes, there's a life we learned with. And there's that life that God saw and He delivered us from it so that you and I now can live a life, yes, the second one, but it doesn't have to be filled with the reality and the consequences of the problems that we created. We get to live as overcomers of those problems, recognizing that, the, that we had to learn them, we had to walk through them, but we were designed now to live and to walk in victory. All of us could testify, I used to be, but now I am. If you're a Christian, you have two stories. You have two lives. With every encounter, with every revelation that brings a new encounter, you have a life that was and now a life that is. Because you'll never have an encounter with God that He doesn't change you. There will never be a moment when you have a revelation from God, when He brings truth, when He brings an experience, when those things that you receive will be the beginning of your next encounter. And I, I would dare you to have an encounter with God that doesn't change you. You have talked, met, been blessed by, had a conversation with the God who created the universe and to walk away from that moment unchanged so that you could say, I was, but now that I've met him, now that I've encountered him, now that I know him, I am terribly, truly different than I was. I want to begin in Galatians chapter 1 because I don't know a better place to go to show this difference, to show the reality of two lives. And the reason, I, I know one of the reasons why... God has brought this is because many of us see the two lives the way Glenn Close presented it. I've made mistakes, and now I just have to live with them. I did something, or I didn't do something that I wish I had done, and now all I can do is live with it. And God is telling you this morning, I did so much so that you never have to just live with it. I came to overcome it. Galatians 1, I'll begin reading verse 13. Paul is giving this amazing introduction into who he truly is, the life that he lives after, by giving a glimpse into the life that he learned with before. So he tells us of these two lives. Galatians 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God, and I wasted it, 
and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But, you realize it's, it's right there at that conjunction that the new life begins to be described, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So here we read about these two lives. Paul describes it. One life he learned with. The one we learn with is the one that others generally see. Think about this for just a second. For most of us, the life that other people see us live, the one that speaks and the one that acts and the one that laughs and the one that grumbles, the one that's brave and the one that's frightened, the one that's aware and the one that's in the dark, the life that we watch each other live, most of the time, tells the story of a person who is not actually me. What you see most of the time in each other is not actually us. You're going to have to get your mind around that for just a second. We watch each other. We hear each other. We see each other laugh. We watch what each other does. We watch each other react and recognize that most of the time what we're seeing is not really us. Because there is this other life. It's the true me. It's the one that God has formed. It's the one that God has spoken and the one that he has established. It is my life that puts him on display. Can you hear a little bit of the difference? Because when you watch me and you look at me and you listen to me, you're getting my version of me. But we all have to recognize that God wrote a story about us. God formed us. He established us. He gave us gifts that matched those things. He gave us an identity. He spoke over us blessings. He predestined a plan for us. That is the true me. The true me is the one God spoke. The true me is the one that God has written down. The true me is the one that He has given the plan. He has given the goodness. He has given the gifts. That is the true me. And unfortunately for most of us, we get only rare glimpses in each other of the version of life that God established. Because we're hung up. We're broken. We live in relationships that are difficult and we struggle and we react to those things and we live frustrated and we live disappointed and we live hurt and we live wondering. We live in question and God is saying, you are, all you're doing in that moment is that you're putting you on display because I have designed you to be the very revelation of me to the other people on the face of this earth. You are here to put a face on me. And most of us, unfortunately, not intentionally, simply go about our life putting on display us and only rarely putting on display the life that God spoke about us. Because this is exactly what Paul was describing. He's saying, you have been watching me for years. He describes it. You have watched me beyond measure. I persecuted the church of God. You watched me do that. You watched me waste that church. You watched me as I profited in the Jews' religion more than my peers. And you watched me be more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. You watched me do it. But Paul is admitting within this testimony, that was not me. That was me conforming. That was me fulfilling. That was me being responsible. That was me stepping into what I was supposed to do. 
That was me putting on display my efforts, my talents, my knowledge, my wisdom, my goodness. That was me putting me on display. But, in this conjunction, but when it pleased God, what happened in that moment? What does Paul begin to describe happened to him on the road to Damascus? What happened with that encounter with Jesus Christ when he heard Jesus speak to him and he was blind for three days and Ananias came and he received his sight and said that you are going to be something else before God. You're going to be a messenger. You're going to be a mouthpiece. You're going to teach. You're going to evangelize. And all of a sudden, we get to see Paul as God intended Paul to be. How does it sound? But when it pleased God and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, because every one of us, this life that we get to live, the one that will step into it and will accept it, recognize that this is not us over here. That we'll never be us until something happens in our relationship with Jesus Christ as it did with Paul. And he begins to describe now that when you look at me, when you hear me preach, when you see what I do, you won't see the guy over here that was holding the coats as they stoned Stephen to death. You won't see that guy anymore because I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and what you will see in me now put on display before you is the very life, the identity that God established in me predestined, set before me that I can now live because I had this encounter with Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many of us are still living some version of a relationship, yes, as Christians, but putting on display every day us, our worries, our concerns, our struggles. We put it on display. And God is saying, I want you to meet me today. I want you to have an encounter with me today that would be such an encounter that from this point forward, the great desire of your life would that he would be on display in us. I wish that this could be the day of that conjunction. If you are in that situation, I wish this could be the day that you could say, but when it pleased God on this day, this Sunday morning, it pleased God. And from this day forward, because of this moment, because of this encounter, when other people look at me, they will see the revelation of Christ who lives in me. What makes the shift? If I am obeying, if I am trusting, if I am relying and following me, what will you see? Me, my version, as determined by me. If I'm following my leadership, trusting my opinion, putting my confidence in my resolve, trusting my gifts and my talents, then what you're going to see put on display is me, my version. But if I'm obeying, if I'm trusting and relying and following him, then you will see me, his version, the one he wrote, the copy that he wrote down, that he established. And the strange part of our Christian life is that we have grown so complacent, we just feel very comfortable standing in the middle saying, I'd kind of live in this life, and God is saying, but I have something so different planned for you. I can't tell you this morning which life you have on display. I could make my observations, but they would be absolutely wrong. Only you, in your relationship with God, only you know which version is on display. For most of us, or all, maybe I should say all of us, our life on this journey has been trying to discover, as I said, who we are. So many voices have told us so many things. I deal with people in my office all the time, and this is the message. So many voices 
have told them so many things that they don't have a clue who they are anymore. And we struggle to find, in all of that noise, we, we struggle to find who we are. And Satan is determined to untether us from the truth. He has to make sure that we never believe or hear from God the truth about who we really are. He has to, in some way, undo us or untie us from that truth. He untethers us from the truth. And he's remarkably good at it. It doesn't take much for him to separate us from the truth. He will make you think you're alone. But what's the reality for every one of us as believers sitting here this morning? What is the truth that God has established? We are part of the family of God. Our Father is the King. He made us a promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But isn't it amazing how many people in this world, believers, believe that they are alone? What's he trying to do? To untie us, untether us from the truth. He will make you feel weak and he'll make you feel afraid and cause you to forget that the creator of the universe now lives in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I wonder how often as believers we feel that weakness and we feel afraid. Who does that? Because he has to separate us from the truth. He will speak to the worst version of us. He'll speak to the worst version of yourself and say, see, I told you. I told you that you're alone. I told you that you're not strong. I told you that nobody cares. I told you that you've been forgotten. I've told you over and over that this is the truth. He speaks to the worst version of ourselves and causes us to forget that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I do this all the time in my office, and I get the same results every time. I tell them about me holding one of our grandkids or one of the kids in the church in my lap, and I'm sitting there, and they'll look at me in the face. And I begin to tell them, I say, Samuel, you're so smart. You're so kind. You're so good. You're so talented. You're so loving. And he'll sit there and listen for a while as I begin to describe and say these things to him. And he believes me at this point because there are no other voices telling him anything else. But what if I could take you right now and put you in our Heavenly Father's lap so that you're sitting in his lap looking up into that face What is he going to say? What's going to come out of his mouth about you? And so far, I think maybe with one exception, so far, sitting in my office, I haven't had a single adult, except with maybe one exception, who could say anything nice or positive about themselves. The same thing I can do with my grandkids. Most of them, the first word that comes out of their mouth most of the time is that he would say, you're such a disappointment. Do you think, out of my human nature, that... This nature that I've received from God, do you think I would hold Samuel in my lap at less than four years old and say, Samuel, you're such a disappointment to me? Why would I ever imagine that God holding me in his lap would say anything other than the truth? Because he sees me the way he created me. He sees this life as the, as the true one that I'm designed to live. Which one is he going to speak about? He's going to say to you, you are remarkable. You're beautiful. You're outstanding. You're stunning. You're so smart. You're so talented. You're so kind. You're so good. Because I made you. I know how I formed you. And how effective Satan has been to untether us, untie us from that truth, and make us believe the worst about ourselves. And God is saying, no, that is not your story. That is not your life. Your true one is the one I wrote. The one I've given you. He's amazingly good 
at untethering us from the truth that God has established about us and over us. He'll even make you turn on those who love you. This is the one that kind of bothers me the most, is that he's so good, he will make you stop trusting the people in your life who he has said are the people who will love you no matter what. He causes us to forget that love is the mighty weapon against bitterness and against anger. Perfect love does what? It casts out fear. He would speak over you an identity that sets a temporary moment into a permanent reality. It's amazing when that happens. Something so small, so insignificant, that lasted only maybe 30 seconds of our life. Me standing in front of that teacher telling her, didn't take but 30 seconds for me to tell her I didn't have the $5 as a junior that I needed to pay the down payment on the ring that I would get as a senior that cost 25 I had to stand there when all the class had brought their money. I stood there and told her I don't have the $5. And she was very nice. She didn't do a single thing to embarrass me or humiliate me. But Satan in that moment said, well, Randy, it's because you're poor. And suddenly, in 30 seconds, I had an identity that he had spoken over me. So that very temporary moment became very permanent for the next 30 years. Plus, making me believe that it was unchangeable. He causes us to forget that we have been remade in him and are being transformed into his likeness. Satan is very, very good at untethering us from the truth. To get us to believe a lie, distorted and untrue about ourselves, so every day we put on display this person that is not truly us because we fell within that first life for the nonsense that he spoke, even sometimes making us believe that we're not really saved and forgetting that God has said, you've been given to me, I will never lose you. I will never release you. So what will change this story for us today? In here, what will change it? I wish I had a magic wand at times. I wish I had something where I could just kind of go across the auditorium like this and say what I'm fixing to say and just, and just instantly make it happen. The problem is that God gave us this pesky thing called free will because he wants to give you a gift in this moment, but he, no matter what the gift is, you still have to receive it. If this is going to make any difference to you today, it's going to be because you recognize sitting here that God is offering you a gift in this moment. And upon receiving, your life can be different based on that gift, but it has to be received. So what will change this story, first of all, for you today? Here's the first thing. We must first take away who you think you are. There will be no that life. There will be no second story. There will be no other part if we don't first take away the mistaken identity that you carry right here about yourself. If you see yourself less than what God has said about you, see yourself less as the story he's written, the screenplay that he has written about your life, if you see yourself less, then that, that is not possible until this is taken away. Old things pass away so that all things can become new. This is why we even teach here that we should never say about ourselves that we're a sinner saved by grace. What are we doing in that statement? Sinner saved by grace. I'm identifying myself over here because he died so that I never have to hear that word sinner spoken over me again and I'm speaking it over myself. 
He did what he did to pay the price. He prayed so that I never have to hear sinner, so that I'll recognize that by his terms, he's called me a saint. Not because of me, but because of him in me. But I'll never be able to receive this reality until I, until I release this one. I will never see myself in fullness if I keep seeing myself in the emptiness. I will never see myself as whole if I keep seeing myself as broken and testifying of my brokenness. And God is offering in this moment the, His willingness to take away from you the old so that the new can come. So that we can actually, in this moment, release maybe for the first time the old identity and say, that is not me. I will not testify of that person anymore because that is not who God made me to be. And that every day when I wake, I have the opportunity to live the old or to step into the new. I have that option. Every day. But the first thing, that if, if it's going to make any difference to you this morning, is there has to be a willingness within your heart to let go of that identity so that he can do something else. Paul thought he was, spoke over here, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He discovered that he was a disciple of Christ, a messenger to the Gentiles. He thought himself identified by his religion, as he told us. And then he discovered he was to be the very revelation of Christ in his life. Both of those things, the discovery that he was a disciple of Christ, the discovery that he was a revelation of Christ in him, were only possible because he was willing to let go that he was, that the Pharisee of the Pharisees was not his true life. It was not his true call. It was not his true purpose. But that would not have been possible if Paul would have kept carrying that banner. Well, I, I am, I want that, but I want to be the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I want people to know how smart I am in the religion that I have followed. That was possible because he released this. And until this is gone, that will have a hard time coming. We can only discover the true life, who we really are, when we surrender our connections to that former identity. All other identities. This, this isn't going to sound right, but I hope it... Maybe what I can't say correctly, the Holy Spirit will fix. I know there are some people who God has called by name and by gifts to live as moms, mothers. And you'll recognize those women because they will not only mother their kids, they will mother everyone. But your role as a mom is not your identity. The fact that you are a wife or a husband is not your identity. That role is not your identity. And we have so settled into those, saying, that's who I am. I heard an interview of a guy on, on TV the other day, and they were asking, who are you? I thought, what would I answer? If I was sitting there on, across the, that desk, and, and somebody asked me, I read your book, I, I was talking to this guy, but, but who are you? Tell us who you are. And he begins this kind of long conversation about the journey he's been on. I would love to be able to say to that person, when they said, who are you? I'd love to be able to say, well, I'm wisdom, because that's what God said. I'm wisdom. That's the identity he gave me. I don't have a convoluted answer. I'm wisdom. That's what he spoke. What you're getting is the release of wisdom because that's who I am. But I will not, absolutely will not ever come to the fullness and the freedom of that if I don't sever the connections with this over here. Each of these old identities, again, this is challenging words, but each of these identities become gods, little g. What do we do with those kind of gods? What's what makes them gods is because we do what? We worship them. We worship things within this identity. We worship 
as Paul did, the fact that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He worshipped and it, was, and it became a god to him that he was powerful within the religion that he had and that he was, and he was going to kill Christians. He was worshipping at those things. And every one of them, as gods, little g, stood in the way and blocked his vision from being able to see who he truly was. Why did God have to blind him? What was the blindness about? So that Paul could see. Those other identities are strangely determined to keep you blind and in the dark. The revelation of who you truly are in him will bring one truth, one revelation. And it's what Paul said. When you discover what God has said about you, then it will do exactly what we read in Galatians chapter 1. He says, but when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, every time that choice will be a revelation of him. Last night, Jan and I were at, at Chris and Karen's for picking and eating. You can't, you can't put a G on those because they weren't picking and eating. They were picking and eating. I was just eating. No, I was picking. I picked which of those desserts I wanted first. I, I, I ate both. I just had to pick which one I wanted first. The food was really good, but the music was outstanding, and we, we kind of joked about sitting there about could I find a sermon in that. Well, when we were kind of joking about it, the strange part was I already had. Because the harmony last night in listening in their living room, Karen was on the bass and Chris was on the guitar and Gaylord was on the banjo, Bobby was on the dobro and Bruce was on the mandolin. The five of them were there playing and singing. The harmony was beautiful. And something hit me as I was listening to that harmony. Even before we joked about me finding a sermon, I knew that it pleased God and brought him great delight when every one of those five people released together the full bounty of their ability. They were doing in that moment what God had gifted them to do. They were simply releasing. You could tell they weren't working at it. There was a little bit of work. This group has gotten older since I've known them. Bobby told me one time that they practiced for, I think, 13 weekends in a row, and they knew over 300 songs that they could just call out and play. Last night, there was a little bit of a struggle to remember the words to one or two. But the reality was that everyone was releasing from who they were, from the gifts and talents that God had given. They were all releasing it, and what it was doing was creating harmony and unity and something beautiful. What did it take for that to occur? Everyone doing what they were blessed to do unselfishly and letting the gifts that God gave them bring joy and unity in the moment. There is no way to create harmony before God if individually I'm partially living over here and partially living over here. There's no way to bring harmony to God if some are living over there and some are living over here. There's no way to bring that harmony. Why? Because until I understand what God has said about me, to understand that I have a life that is so described so differently maybe than the one I have seen, if I don't step into this life, then I will not ever be able to be in harmony with you who also have stepped into this life. Because only here can I release the fullness of what God gave me so that it would be a perfect match to what he gave Melissa, what he gave to Janice, what he gave to Lorenda, what he gave to Betty, what he gave to Joe. When we do step into the reality of this life, letting go of those, letting go of that which Satan has caused us to believe about ourselves, and, and actually break this tether, 
so that we can actually step into the reality of the truth that God has established. When each one of us do that, we will, before God, create music that will be absolutely amazing for him to hear. But it would have been a very different sound last night without any one of these people. Anyone missing, it wouldn't have sounded like it sounded. I want to tell you, when we refuse to step into the reality of this life, hanging on to the bitterness of that one, the frustration of that one, the anger of that one, the identity of that one, when we hang on to that one, refusing to step into this one, the noise that we present before the Lord is just racket. How do I know that? Because what's the world producing today? Racket. What's the church producing if we're not stepping in? Racket. What happens the moment when we come into agreement with him about ourselves? Then my life will begin to play a message back to him, to play a song before him. And in my simple mind, when my life begins to sing that song, the Lord of the, of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, stops in that moment, just like I was sitting there last night, just amazed at the sound. I believe the creator of heaven and earth and all the angels around him stop when one life begins to be lived in agreement with what he said because he's amazed at the music that's coming to heaven. You get to choose today what you're going to believe about yourself. The worst or the best. The lie or the truth. You get to choose. He won't force you. He's offering you a gift saying, you'll let this one go. I will begin even today to help you discover this one. I want you to live this one. I want you to be able to go to work tomorrow in the joy of the reality that I am in Christ, his son. I am his daughter. I delight him in all that I do. He loves me. I was fearfully and wonderfully made to be able to say those things about ourselves, the things he has said, so that your life and my life can begin to sing a song together. This is not a solo, but now brings the harmony of a duet and a trio and an ensemble and a church. And he hears the beauty of the song. Lord, we thank you for this reminder of what Satan has determined to do, that by your power and by the gift of the Holy Spirit you have allowed us to undo, that we are remade, that we have that same moment in our life, but when it pleased God, by his grace, by his forgiveness of me, he allows me to put on demonstration his son who now lives in me. Let that sink in. Let that become true to us and forever change us so that we don't live the moderate, smaller version of life simply because we're struggling to believe about ourselves those things that you have said are true. Same things that, that I would say over my grandchildren and my children are the same things today that you would say over us. And I pray, God, that we would never believe anything less and we would never let anything come out of our mouth that would reduce us to be less than what you have spoken. That we would say of ourselves that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we are remarkable in the eyes of God because he formed us, because he shaped us, because he knows us, because he has blessed us. And I can say over myself the very goodness and the essence of the nature of God because it's the truth. And I don't have to fall for the lie that cripples us and brings shame and regret and blame, guilt. Let us be free of it today because of this gift that you are offering. I pray, Lord, in this moment that anyone who wants to be free from the old, the old has gone and the new has come. Do you receive the new? And the answer is yes. We step into the reality of it. Lord, thank you this morning for this simple message. We speak it in Jesus' name. Amen.